like equilibrium of the earth might be off. Why? <laughs> because we're recording on a Wednesday. Uh, it feels very weird. I know. I keep thinking tomorrow's Friday and I'm so excited the week's over, but it's not. Yeah. My week is all, all messed up. Yeah. <laughs> it was like a mad rush to get the research done by Wednesday. Yeah. And I had a really bad day on Monday. So, and then in my head, I was like, it's okay that I didn't start on Monday because like I have, you know, three more days. And then I was like, oh shit, I only have two more days. Yeah. <laughs> and one of them is recording day. And I hate rushing on recording day to finish it. Cause then you feel like you're like you might miss a really important source right exactly i mean thankfully with my person there was not much um Good. which was kind of a blessing for this week because yeah i just like was not feeling it in the beginning of the week mm-hmm. <laughs> uh but that's okay uh we're gonna feel it now we're gonna feel it now we're here we got some interesting stories letters c and d because this is her story on the with Katie and Allie. This is a podcast where we talk about famous women in history. And we talk about good women and bad women and fictional women and non-fictional women and alphabetical women mm-hmm. from all times and places <laughs> because women have nuance. But keep in mind, we are D for drinking the entire time. We are not H for historians. No. <laughs> We're terrible. Um, but this is really fun because now we're trying to like squeeze in women and we're making like acrostic poems (laughs) it's so fun yeah because like we've been doing like these kind of themed seasons and this one as we said last week is going to go alphabetically so we did a and b last week we're doing c and d and it's going to be a fun time it is (laughs) so i guess let's get started uh what are what are our listeners busy doing right now i have no idea they are working in the topiary garden honey they are trying to get those bushes looking like sea creatures or sea creatures unicorns i want an octopus whatever that That would be a really good one it would i don't even Um, know how that would be (laughs) i was thinking manta ray oh but that would also be hard that's just like a flat flat bush yeah giraffe <laughs> we have a great topiary garden in maryland by the way everybody oh, if you ever visit great. go to ledoux gardens l-e nope l-a-d-e-w <laughs> ledoux it's amazing it really is so maybe you work there maybe you just have a topiary garden at your home but either way you're pruning you're shearing you're doing whatever getting ready for spring And you can't stop because you have the gardening gloves on, everything's sappy, so you can't stop and take out your phone and look up what these women look like. No. (laughs) So we're going to describe them for you. So you have a picture in your head while we're telling their story. We're going to get a little physical, physical. Allie, who are you doing and what does she look like? I'm doing D for Diane Fossey. And she's an American woman with dark brown, short hair, typically very frizzy because of the extreme humidity of where (laughs) she was. Uh, She usually wore it in a low ponytail or braid at the base of her neck and then slung over her shoulder Katniss style. Mm. She was very tall, even among like her two other trimates like mm-hmm. she's much taller than jane goodall like in the pictures mm. of them together and i view jane goodall as very tall yeah i would think so yeah she looks really kind but also like plain like she's the kind of person who would have like a bowl of those strawberry candies oh, at her yes. house mm-hmm. um no offense if you have those they're delicious <laughs> they are delicious you just are plain <laughs> and um in the bio movie about her life the amazingly beautiful and talented sigourney weaver plays her <gasps> amazing so that's been fun for the week fun. who are you doing and what does she look like okay so we did this alpha 
not in alphabetical order. Oh, that's order. true. It's because I always ask you first. Yeah. <laughs> Which usually doesn't matter. We messed up. It's fine. Um, I am doing C for Charlotta Bass. Um, she is a petite, light-skinned black woman who had a presence much larger than her short stature. <laughs> she had a round face and kind of almond-shaped eyes and rounded features, but this really small smile. She always had short, curled hair, but as she grew older, it grew gray. Uh, in her older years, she could typically be seen wearing glasses and a hat and maybe a flower on her lapel. And she would be usually seen in an office or at a podium giving a speech. And that is what Charlotta looked like. She was very classy looking. Is she like a business suit woman or like a wrap dress woman or? She would wear both, but okay. I always picture her in kind of like a, like a women's suit. Okay. Uh, like a 1940 style suit. They're like, so cute. They're very cute. I and wish she, just, she I always looked body put type. together. Good. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And That's hard to do when you get up early. Yeah. And back in the 20s, like there's a picture of her wearing a really pretty like black dress with like white lace all over it. And she's like in a garden. Just like you can see that she's lived through a lot of time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> From all the pictures of her. That's cool. Um, okay. Great. So what am I drinking? This looks absolutely beautiful thank you this cocktail is called win or lose and it is two ounces of coconut rum an ounce of red wine uh juice from half a lime and you top the whole thing off with ginger beer and you garnish with blackberries and basil Amazing. cheers cheers oh it's so good that is so good it's almost like like a bullshit sangria you yeah. know because it's a ha like we don't usually put red wine in our cocktails mm -hmm. unless it is a sangria and sangrias have a lot of wine and this is just a touch right which i think kind of balances out like the sweetness of the coconut rum for sure Ugh. like it's it's the coconut is way in like the aftertaste it's mm. not something that hits you right away which is really nice yeah mm. it's also just lovely like i would be happy if i ordered this at a restaurant i would too yeah okay so what do you know about charlotta bath uh i know only what you told me like i know <laughs> that she was a newspaper woman. I don't know about her life. I don't know what she did. I don't really know what she's famous for. So I'm really excited to learn because I'm sure she has a great story. Perfect. Um, so I got most of this from Wikipedia and then uh, a PBS Masters documentary series on YouTube um, called Unladylike. And I also got some of it from a podcast called Hidden History of L.A., so it's why I wanted to use um, the coconut rum Malibu. I know Malibu is wait that's in California. Yeah, yeah. I always for some reason I always think it's in Florida. Florida. But, yeah, but it's like a California-ish cocktail. Malibu Stacy. <laughs> <laughs> so okay, let's get into it. Uh, and also there again, like with some of the people we cover, it's like people were given all sorts of dates and times for things she was doing things dates she was born dates she died. So you know if you're like that's not when that happened like. I'm going off the sources I Look, had. Guys, <laughs> nothing is real and life doesn't exist. Exactly. Okay. Charlotta Amanda Spears, mm. which sounds like she could be totally related to Brittany, uh, yes. was born on Valentine's Day, February 14th, 1874, to Hiram and Kate Spears. Her That's mother's name is 
Kate Spears. That's so cute. A, B, that's my grandmother's birthday. I mm. love people born on Valentine's Day. They're I think just it's so sweet. The best. Mm. Uh, some sources give her birthplace as Sumter, South Carolina, while other sources suggest she was born in Little Compton, Rhode Island, which is really funny because I know about this little town. It's a very, very small town in Rhode Island. And the only reason I know about it is because there's a comedic actress who I like who was born and raised there and she wrote a memoir about it called little miss little miss compton or something like little <laughs> miss little compton or something like that so wait she's either from california or rhode island no she's either from south carolina or rhode oh, island oh i was yeah, like yeah, that's yeah. a really big difference, <laughs> really big difference no. Even south carolina and rhode island that's, that's also a- like a 15 hour drive yeah so we don't know um <laughs> but she was the sixth of 11 children so i imagine that like they're like we have no idea when we moved like was it after (laughs) kid three or kid 10 i don't know (laughs) um but we know that she grew up in rhode island and that's kind of always seen as her hometown um and we know that she attended a desegregated public school as a child wow Mm -hmm. Uh, and she spent one semester at pembroke college uh in brown university and which is just like really shocking to me that like she had an unusually high education for a woman and especially a woman of color for this time. And like the 18, she was born in the 1800s. 1874. Right. So it's probably like 1902 or something. Yeah. When she's going to university. That's insane. Yeah. It's wild. I didn't know Brown like was, had desegregated classes at all, or maybe they did. I don't know. I don't know. Cause this is Pembroke. So this is like, you know, like oh. the girls college okay. that like, maybe like they didn't take it as seriously. So they didn't care as much. That I really right. don't know. Sexism and racism. Got all it. Got wrapped it, got up it. into one. Uh, but also I have no idea. Yeah. So if you know, speculation, the of Pembroke. True speculation. <laughs> um, when she was 20 years old, she went to live with her brother Ellis in Providence, Rhode Island, where she worked selling subscriptions for the Providence Watchman, which was a local black newspaper. Spears worked for the Providence Watchman for about 10 years, but then due to health issues, she needed to move to the West Coast. So when she was about 36, she picked up and moved everything to Los Angeles, California. With all her experience in the newspaper business, she quickly got a new job at the California Eagle, a local African-American newspaper. Originally, the paper was called The Owl, and it was founded in 1879 by John J. Nemour. The paper, of course, was a way to change the news narrative for black folks in the area. Because, you know, in prominent newspapers, which were run by white men, the only time black people were mentioned was if they were being accused of a crime. (laughs) Black newspapers became a way to kind of counteract that narrative and, you know, show the good that was happening in their community and also show the bad that was happening to the people in their community at the hands of white people. Mm. Because... You can imagine that it was not being reported in the white newspapers. And if it was, it was majorly skewed, which still happens today. Uh, She also worked on furthering her education. She took classes at Columbia University and the University of California. But just a few years into her tenure at the California Eagle in 1912, Nimoy called for Charlotta at his home. He was on his deathbed and he told her, I want you to take over the paper when I'm gone. Keep it going. Wow. So she promised she would. And literally overnight, she became owner, editor, and publisher of the California Eagle. 
So, and this is like her boss. Yeah. This is the owner of the newspaper. Thought she was doing great. Yeah. Was like, you're really good at this. You have a talent for it. Here it is. (laughs) To which she said, who had ever heard of a woman running a newspaper? It was the talk of the town. (laughs) (laughs) Now, some other sources say that she became the editor after this. Like, no one is denying this story. Um, But then there was some confusion over what exactly happened next. So someone said that it legally belonged to a white man after he passed um, for legal reasons or whatever. Um, And the guy was like, okay, like, you know, I'll acknowledge that promise. Like, you know, if you like, basically, I think he said, like, give me some sugar or something like that. Basically, like if you like have sex with me and she was like, no way you old dirty dog. And, <laughs> and then it's great. Uh, ended up buying the newspaper legally at an auction for like $50. Um, I don't know exactly how it went down, but there's a few different stories, but either way she is now entrusted with a major operation. I mean, running a newspaper at this time is no joke. Yeah. I mean, I wonder if like, if it was, public and like a maybe this white guy had like a certain amount of the shares and Mm -hmm. with with the owner passing away like maybe he had the most shares but then if she had enough money to buy the owner's shares right like if it was public otherwise it's just like i don't maybe he had funded the newspaper to start with because legally word of mouth can't be like now you own it (laughs) i mean i know it was in the early 1900s which is why we have laws against that now where it's Uh like nepotism and like you have to like actually put it up for like mm-hmm. post it on linkedin or whatever exactly but so. <laughs> it's an interesting i wish i knew the deets i know i just the... i love that she called this maybe man an old dirty dog you old scoundrel <laughs> i've always wanted to throw my drink in someone's face <sighs> and call him a scoundrel a dream dirty martini dirty bastard it's <laughs> my favorite line from sex in the city it's a good one <laughs> it's a really good one um so yeah it took a ton of work to produce this newspaper and distribute it and everything uh but charlotta had dreams of making the paper flourish so she hired a veteran reporter to help her and she hired him to be her number two this is a man named joseph bass she i've heard that last uh name (laughs) (laughs) and i love this she kept the title of managing editor she goes i will be managing editor my name will go first and you will be editor and your name will go second, <laughs> which I love. Ideal. That's ideal. <laughs> and then two years later, in 1914, they were married. Yay! Yay. Happily married? Yes. Good. I need that in my I life. I know. <laughs> uh, Charlotta's plan to grow the business was working. Uh, and also, it's some sources say that she was the name, the one that named it the California Eagle, which is the name that became very famous. Because um, it was just the eagle, or was it anything it went, yet? I think it went from the owl to the eagle mm. to the California eagle. <laughs> mm. Eagles are like on top of it. Yeah, owls are like a nighttime bird. Yeah, I think they're kind of like more sneaky. And mm-hmm. she was like, "No, like we're out front. We're going to be doing this." Um, I had a dream the other night about a bald eagle stealing a hawk's baby. Mm. That's what I dreamt about. It was a traumatic. That's weird because I hate watching hawks like attack. Yeah. Other birds to try and get their babies back. It's very scary. So sad. Not that hawks don't do that to like blue jays and shit. And blue yeah. jays do it to chickadees. I don't care. Whatever. Chickadees. I just... <laughs> <laughs> Is that no. even a real bird? Yeah. The ones with the, the little brown ones with the little short little feather tail. Huh. 
I think that's what I, I learned know. in fourth grade from oh, this. All right. Well, <laughs> yeah, she's super trustworthy. <laughs> I'll be it for you to disagree with Miss Kilar. <laughs> I will. <laughs> um, <laughs> so she took the paper from a four-page, more like tabloidy paper, to a twenty-page weekly paper that soon had the largest circulation of any African-American newspaper on the West Coast. They were distributing 60,000 copies a week. Oh my I don't know. God, <laughs> That's crazy. Especially I bet the equipment printed super slow and was always making Absolutely. mistakes. Um, and with this new platform, she started reporting on the widespread discrimination that black folks were facing in LA. That's ballsy. Everything from housing discrimination to segregated schools to restaurants that wouldn't serve people like anything that was happening no matter like how small it was she was like that's not small at all i'm going to report on it and make you feel seen and heard and then we're gonna boycott that fucking restaurant yes (laughs) even though they won't serve us anyways but (laughs) (laughs) um and she didn't just write about these things she would take it to the streets when a local black woman was being harassed by her neighbors after moving onto a white street. I mean, these people literally, like, she went out to work one day and they broke into her house, took all of her furniture out and put it on the lawn. So she came home and she was like, what the fuck? All my furniture's out here. And there was, like, a note on the door that was, like, you know, N-word, like, get out of here. Like, you know, you're not welcome. So... This woman went to Charlotta and Charlotta was like, we're not going to stand for this. So she organized like a whole like march down her street and a big protest. She called up the sheriff and were like, here are this woman's legal rights. You have to do something about this. And she caught him in a bind and he goes, okay. So she made the sheriff and his deputies put all of this woman's furniture back in her house and was like looking at the neighbors like, you see this? Don't do it again. I love when you just slap people with the rule of law. Yep. <laughs> like, oh, she was pop. so good Loved at that. Backhand people so with that one. <laughs> good at that. Then in 1918, she walked into an LA hospital and discovered that they did not have a single black employee. What? So she went to the higher ups. Wasn't and that she common complained. in 1918? I think so. So like, she was like, you guys are like really fucking behind the times. Like what's going on here? Mm. So she went to the hospital board and she was like, you have to hire more black employees. And they go, Well, if you can find qualified workers, you know, we'll hire them as like maybe like lower downs or attendants. And then if they get qualified enough or work here for a certain amount of time, like then maybe we'll accept them into the teach the nursing teaching program or whatever, the nurses training program. So for a little while, she was like, okay, I'll do that. So she turned the California Eagle office into a recruitment employment office for nurses and she basically like sent out word and she was like, if you want to be a nurse in the hospital one day and you want to get your foot in the door, come to the California Eagle and I will set you up with a job there. And then you'll eventually get nursing training and become oh, a nurse, that's which amazing. is a huge deal. This is really hard to get into. It is. I think that reminds me of that. Like, what's that Baltimore like organization? Is it called like a step ahead or oh, something? I think so. Where it's like they help like homeless men or disenfranchised men like get a suit for a job interview like here i'm gonna loan you this suit so that you have something to wear which i love that that was what um alex trebek did with all of his suits it was Um, donated to that type of charity because he wore a billion suits you know and 
that was where all of them went. Oh, the helping up mission. That's what it's called. That's it. Yeah. Dave Trag's dad had us all donate to that when he passed. That's right. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Which also, I don't know if you're up on Jeopardy, but the current champion is incredible. Really? Yeah. Her name is Matea Roach. I feel like I know this. Yeah. She is won her 15th game last night. Yeah. And it's like the most money ever made on Jeopardy of all time. No. No. (laughs) Of a woman? No. No. So um, then, what's the point in you telling me this story? <laughs> I'm only saying it because I just so happened to like turn on Jeopardy the first night that she was on. And I've been obsessed with her ever since. Cause okay. she's like this young, like, I think she's 23 oh, cool. and she's like this cool Canadian, like lesbian tutor. And she has these cute little hands, but I love it because <laughs> she, the first night she won, which we saw, she's like, as soon as they like announced that she won, she was like, Oh my God, I can pay off my student loans. Oh, <laughs> I was like, Oh my God. Poor and then of course now she's like f- won like $380,000. Like good. it's ridiculous. She knows all the things. She really does. Good she's so her. good. So now I've been like watching every night to see if she like goes through and she has been, she's so good. The dedication to Jeopardy is wild. It is. <laughs> um, okay. So anyways, so she runs this basic, you know, like basically like an employment office. She gets all these people, jobs in hospitals. And then after a few years, she was like, okay, how's it going? Are you training them as nurses yet? And they were like, well, no, because like they're still not really qualified. And she was like, that's not the deal we struck. So she took them to court <laughs> and she won. And she basically forced them to start training these people as nurses because she was like, this was what you said was going to happen. They are doing everything that the other white people are doing and you're not letting them train to be nurses. You're keeping them in these lower paying jobs on purpose. So that was a warrior, cool. a warrior. <laughs> and this fits in with her larger fight to end discrimination across LA not just in hospitals during the great depression of the 1930s she continued to encourage black businesses with the campaign known as don't buy where you can't work wow and she successfully ended labor discrimination in a few companies and organizations in LA including the LA railway wow I know <laughs> And to make sure she got her own personal messages out there, she had her own column called On the Sidewalk. (laughs) To quote Charlotta, she wanted the paper to wage a bloodless but fearless war against segregation and discrimination. But unfortunately, there were some people who wanted to end uh, her paper with bloodshed. Um, We tend to think of... The KKK as being a very Southern thing. And I think we forget that they had a large presence all over the country and especially in California at this time. And Charlotta was not afraid to call them out on their bullshit because no one else was. And they obviously did not like this. So they started a a campaign and tried to get her arrested. That didn't work. So then they tried to sue her. That didn't work. So one night, they showed up to her offices when she was alone working late. She said eight hooded figures appeared at her office. So she reached into her desk and pulled out a handgun. I am, I have chills. I that know. is terrifying. Horrifying. She pointed the handgun at them and basically told them like, get the fuck away from me and my office. And they ran off without hurting her or the building, thankfully. And Charlotta was so relieved because she would later say, 
I had never touched a gun before. I didn't even really know if I was holding it the right way. (laughs) Uh, But I guess they thought I knew what I was doing. (laughs) Her husband would often say to her, you're going to get us killed one day. (laughs) And she would say, well, it would be for a good cause. Joseph Bass did die in 1934. Mm. Thankfully, not for murder or anything like that. Uh, Didn't say how he passed. But it did leave Charlotta without her life partner and her business partner. But I think by this time, she was confident enough to know that she could do it by herself. So Mm -hmm. she stepped right into the role and ran the whole thing by herself for another 20 years, always expanding the boundaries of the paper. And soon, like her activities kind of off the page, she was like, I'm writing about electoral politics. I want to get involved. So she goes to protests and marches and rallies and whatever else is going on, you know, with the cause. And she was like, I'm going to run for office because I'm doing speeches. I'm getting involved because I want to be able to have a say in the rules that are holding us back. Um, so she runs for city council. Um, so she's traveling around again, doing lots of speeches and now being kind of a face of the movement. Um, but, after she loses the election and she tries to run for other things, but she's just not making any headway in the Republican Party, which she was a, a part of for the longest time. Um, so she was like, you know what? I'm branching out. I'm leaving the Republican Party. I'm going to start my own party. It's called the Third Party, <laughs> <laughs> which was a part of like, you know, it would be billed as the Progressive Party. Yeah. Um, but she was like, yep, I'm going to do this. And I'm going to market it as the positive program to meet the people's needs. In 1950, she ran for Congress with this party um, and lost. But then in 1952, she ran for vice president alongside Vincent Hallinan. Wow. Making her the first black female to run for vice president. That's amazing. I know. I didn't know that. I literally was like, okay, can't be a city council person. I'll be a senator. Can't be a senator. I'm going to be the vice president. (laughs) (laughs) Whoever takes me on their ticket, I will do it. She was down to party. She was. And here's the thing. To political party. There was no chance, you know, she was going to win. You know? Yeah. I mean, come on. But it wasn't about winning. We just got a black female vice president. I know. Just (laughs) Um, it was about showing people that someone like her, you know, did have a voice and it showed young black girls that they could also run for office Sunday because it has to start somewhere, you know? And she was like, okay, like if they want to be it, I'm going to be the one to show it to them. I'm going to do it even if I lose. And her slogan that she ran on said it all win or lose. We win by raising the issues. Which I think is such a great quote because she's like, I know I'm not going to win, but that's not the point of this. Right. The point is to raise the issues and to get out there and speak up. The more you say it out loud, the more people have to listen. Exactly. They can't just. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Uh, But of course, when you're starting something like this and talking in a really radical way and gaining more power, there's only one thing the U.S. government thinks of you, and it is that you are a communist. So she was monitored by the FBI. Of course. Who continued to view her as a security threat up until she was in her 90s. And Katie and I have met 
somebody who is considered one of the FBI's a most potentially dangerous, people. dangerous potentially female. Dangerous. <laughs> um, and they, so kind. <laughs> they also labeled her paper as a potential security risk. Ugh. And in the 1940s, they started rumors that it was secretly funded by Japan. But it's called the Eagle. That's like so I'm American. So American. Uh, and then they really tried to shut her up. They attempted to revoke her postage permit so she couldn't distribute her paper. But Charlotta knew her fucking rights, so she took the issue to court and she won. The paper would remain. Against the U.S. government. She's unbelievable. <laughs> like, sorry, guys. She's unbelievable. <laughs> That's her third win in court so yeah. far. Uh-huh. Turkey. Uh, so... To focus on her personal health, her political career, and maybe to save the California Eagle from these threats of being shut down, she did sell the paper in the early 50s. Um, And this is, like, again, right around when she was, like, running for big offices. Mm -hmm. Um, So she did sell it, but she was still kind of an integral part. And I think her, one of her, like, nephews or something took over. Um, along with the paper and her political aspirations, she was an active member of the NAACP. She was the director of the youth movement, which had 200 members, including some famous actresses such as Lena Horne, Hattie McDaniel, and Louise Beavers. She was also the national chairman of the Sojourners for Truth and Justice, (laughs) an organization of black women set up to protest racial violence in the South. And when she was in her 70s, she turned her garage into a community reading room and a voter registration site because that was like all she was capable of doing at the time. <laughs> Rock the vote, girl. Uh, in 1966, she had a stroke and retired to an L.A. nursing home. And a few years later, she died in Los Angeles on April 12th, 1969 from a cerebral hemorrhage. She is buried alongside her husband in Evergreen Cemetery in Boyle Heights in East L.A., the grave marker only bears her husband's name. She is not listed. But she was listed above him. I know. Lame. Charlotta paved the way for so many women today, and I know that she would be so proud to have Kamala Harris as the vice president, because as she once said, I know the future will be even better. And that's her story, that's which so I want to know more of. She did so many cool things. It's so uplifting, though. Oh, and I have to say a thank you to Alicia Gutierrez. This was a request from her. Oh, yay. So thank you. Because uh, Alicia you. lives in California. Yeah, She's so I guess you know. California listeners <laughs> who is an actual historian. Yes. <laughs> not us. No, not us. Uh-uh. Um, but yeah, so I just... I wish that there was more on her that was, uh, yeah, more easily accessible because I think her, she just like is so many places and like lived through so much (laughs) and And seems classy as fuck. Yeah. And was running a newspaper during some of the most turbulent times in U.S. history. Amazing. So Charlotta, she's the best. Yay. Amazing. Are you ready for more to drink? I am. More cocktails and we'll be right back. Yay. We are back. Part two, not as positive and uplifting. Oh, no. <laughs> I don't know anything about Diane Fossey. I thought this would be like a really inspiring story. Yeah, it's okay. It's an okay story. It starts out positive. Uh, okay. It doesn't finish that way. Oh, um, no. So 
I guess, do you want to know what you're drinking? Yes, I do. So this is called Diane in the Mist. <laughs> and it's two ounces of cold brew coffee, an ounce of spiced rum, an ounce of orange liqueur, heavy cream. Love it. Poured over ice. So it looks like a white Russian, but it's like, um, it was a lot of ingredients from a traditional Rwandan drink. Oh, cool. All right. Well, cheers. Cheers. Mm. Tastes like rum and coffee. Delicious. <laughs> mm. And really like, like rum it. and coffee with no sugar. That's what's nice about it. This is like um, yeah. what you want an iced coffee to be yes. like when you get it from Dunkin' Donuts instead Absolutely. of what it actually is, mm-hmm. which is just like sugar on my palate. Yeah. Well, and I also, I do love when heavy cream is in coffee. I will say some people take it too far. I used to serve a brevet to a woman and it was a 20 ounce brevet. And usually with a brevet that large, you cut it with milk. But mm. she said, no, I want it to be 100% heavy cream. She wants to milk the cow herself. So <laughs> I would steam. I mean, at that point, it's two ounces of espresso and 18 ounces. I mean, what is 16 ounces? Isn't that like a gallon? No, it's a cup. Yeah. Two cups. Wh- whatever. What 16 is ounces is a pound. It's a pound. Okay, that's great. Yeah, a but I don't know about pound. liquid. <laughs> I don't know if liquid is the same. A pound of heavy cream. That's insane. And she would get it all the time. She also, like, I don't know if, like, she would, she, I never knew her real name. She'd always be like, my name's Steamy. <laughs> she thought she had a joke with the barista? I don't know if it was a joke because another girl was like, yeah, I babysit for her and I only ever call her Steamy. Because she demands it. (laughs) (laughs) Excellent. But anyways, soon she started getting iced brevets. So there was not even any foam involved. It was was just just 18 ounces of cold, heavy cream. (laughs) very little bit of espresso. That's a crazy order. Yes, it is. I want to do that just to throw off someone's day. (laughs) So they have a story to tell. (laughs) Oh, my God. I have so many stories from that. I'm sure. It's the best. (laughs) Be a barista for a bit. (laughs) Just a bit. It's fun. So I guess tell me what you know about Diane Fossey. Okay. I know that she worked with gorillas where Jane worked with chimpanzees. Yes. Um, I... I just kind of feel like she's always the lesser of Jane Goodall. You know what I'm saying? So I don't know if they did similar things or they were totally different and just different primates or whatever. Um, And I know that uh, Portia de Rossi, (laughs) Ellen DeGeneres' wife, Mm -hmm. uh, for Ellen's birthday, like her like 50th birthday, she opened up uh, a research center called like the Ellen DeGeneres, Diane Fossey, like chimpan or gorilla gorilla research facility that was like her big gift to her which was so sweet because ellen had no idea that she was doing it because ellen loves diane fossey and loves gorillas Gorilla. so <laughs> all i know of her is vis-a-vis ellen DeGeneres. Ellen DeGeneres. <laughs> <laughs> well you are about to be enlightened this is a roller coaster of a story <laughs> okay a lot of things are happening um I feel like Jane Goodall is a very, like, universally well-loved Mother Teresa-type uh-huh, character. Uh-huh. And I think Diane Fossey's maybe not as famous because she is a little edgy. Oh, she's edgy. She's okay. just a little edgy. She looks plain, mm-hmm. but she's edgy. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
I got some of this from a documentary called Secrets in the Mist, which is free on YouTube, and I mm. heavily suggest watching it. Um, pieces of her autobiography, Gorillas in the Mist, sections also of the Hollywood movie starring Sigourney Weaver, and then obviously Wikipedia, mm-hmm. podcasts, Britannica, the whole deal. You had a lot more sources. Mm-hmm. I had <laughs> all the sources and some. It was very easy to do this research. Okay. Diane was born in San Francisco on January 16th, 1932. Her mom was Catherine Kidd, who went by Kitty and was a fashion model. Mm. And her dad was George E. Fossey III, an insurance agent. Wow. Yeah. Okay. What a couple. (laughs) Her parents did divorce. (laughs) I imagine. (laughs) When she was six and her mom got remarried like the following year to a guy named Richard Price. Now, her dad, the insurance agent, George, tried to keep in contact with his daughter, but mom, like, heavily discouraged it. Okay. So, that didn't really work out. And then her stepfather just never treated her like his own child. He would, like, make a Diane sit at a separate table while they ate dinner. (laughs) So, it was, like, Diane's mom and stepdad eating dinner together, and then she ate separately. Oh, my God. Like... That's terrible. That's awful. Why? I don't know. I hate that. Yeah. He's not a kind That's like one of those people that's like, children should not be seen or heard. Right. And you're like, actually, that's all they can do. It's like, (laughs) what? (laughs) Are they ghosts? It's a ghost. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So needless to say, he offered little to no emotional support for Diane. And she turned to animals to get the love that she much needed as a child. And her love for animals first began with her pet goldfish and continued throughout most of her life. She also kind of around that time when her parents got divorced began riding horses, which is a hobby she kept through her entire life. And she ended up earning a high school letterman jacket for horse riding and was quite the equestrian, huh? which is pretty cool. That's like pretty that's cool. a hard skill to have. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> we should know we're in Maryland. Jousting is our state sport right. for some God awful reason. And we have Pimlico. Yeah, we have Pimlico. We're a big horse community here. (laughs) We love a horse. A lot of horse girls. Love a horse. (laughs) I went to college with a girl. She lived in my freshman dorm. And she quit school because she was so sad to be away from her horses. And her horses are unique. Her horses were in like Harford County. We went to Towson. (laughs) They were like 25 minutes away. They were like 25 minutes away. Listen, if you grow up like every day at 5 a.m. going out to like feed and brush your horses, like I can't imagine like. No. It's crazy. Yeah. Now she has a horse business. Good for her. Good for you, Jamie. Yay. (laughs) Jamie and the horses. (laughs) Jamie and the horses. (laughs) Me. Okay. That was it. This is it. (laughs) Following the guidance of her stepfather. She enrolled in a business course at a college in San Francisco, but she began spending her summers on a ranch in Montana at age 19, and this really reinvigorated her love of animals. So, despite what her parents wanted, she quit the business courses and enrolled in a pre-veterinary course at the University of California. 
This was definitely in defiance of what her parents wanted. Consequently, they failed to give her any substantial financial support throughout her entire adult life. Mm. But they didn't give her emotional support through her child life, so So it's basically like they didn't exist. (laughs) She supported herself by working at a department store and doing clerical work and working in a factory, so she's really bouncing around. She also reminds me a lot of your cousin Liz. Yeah. I mean, dad's in insurance. Yeah. Like, parents split up. Right. And that's a big horse family. Went to Montana. Big horse family. Did horse things. Right. I mean, your cousin is like a horse doctor. Yeah. Right? She's She, like, works on a ranch. Yeah. Yeah. But, like, Montana, that's what she went to school cool. for, equestrian science. <sighs> yeah. That sounds college. cool. It is pretty cool. <laughs> Except when she was putting up pictures on Instagram of, like, horse dissection. I was oh. like, can we not? I know it's a college class and stuff, but, like, can we not? I don't need to see, like, a horse leg. I know you oh. have to do that to know what's wrong and, like, I get it, but I don't get it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't need to understand. <laughs> Just tell I don't me need it. to understand the vascular system of a horse <laughs> no, by no, no. seeing it. No, if I go to her wedding and she serves horse, I'm going to kill her. <laughs> Ikea meatballs for everyone. <laughs> for a dollar, you have to pay while you're there at her wedding. God, can you imagine if you had Ikea cater your wedding? <laughs> what if it was a cash that food would be wedding? Amazing. Cash food. Open bar cash food. <laughs> <laughs> Grab a tray. It's cafeteria style. <laughs> I would love, love that. Oh, <sighs> perfect. Okay. So even though Diane was an exemplary student, especially in the animal sciences, like biology, zoology, to get like a degree in veterinary science or like a doctorate degree, you need to be good at all the sciences. So she really struggled with chemistry and physics and it was just not her thing. Mm-hmm. So in her second year of the program, she dropped out and she transferred to a different university to study occupational therapy and received her bachelor's in that in 1954. So she started a career as an occupational therapist interning at hospitals and working in tuberculosis clinics. Mm. Then, because of her love of writing, she was like, you know what? I don't need to live here. I need to live in Kentucky. Ah, that is a horse town. Let me get to the Triple Crown. It's the horsiest town. Numero uno? Mm -hmm. Yeah? Is that one first? In the Triple Crown? Yeah. Uh, I don't know if it's where it's... It's the Kentucky Derby and then Pimlico. And then... No one cares about the third one. Yeah, or maybe the Kentucky Derby's last, and that's why we know the name. I feel like the Kentucky Derby is the last one. Yeah, you're right, you're right. Because it's where everything finishes up. Uh And that's why we all party in May. Yes. For sure. Okay. So that's where she's going. She's like, I'm going to live in Louisville, Kentucky. Okay. So she takes a job at a children's hospital doing occupational therapy, and it's a hospital for children with special needs. At that point, it was called a crippled children's hospital, but we're not going to call it that. It sounds brutal. Brutal. <laughs> it brutal. sounds like they cripple children there. Right. <laughs> right. No, it was children living with disabilities. She was very shy and reserved and calm, which made working with children very easy for her. She Mm. was a comfort to them. She became really close with this woman who worked there, Mary White Henry, while she was working. And Mary was a wife of one of the doctors who worked there. Um, And Mary was a secretary. So they were like, hey, why don't you come live on our family farm. We have a family farm. You can help out with the livestock. You love animals so much. You can like do your thing. So now for the first time in her life, she's working with animals. She's working with children and she's experiencing a family that Mm -hmm. cares about each other. They've got children. They've got a house. So in 1963, she was like, you know what? This is great, but I have a dream. 
she takes out her entire life savings, which I'm sure isn't much, and also from the bank borrowed an additional $8,000, which at that point was one year salary. Oh, my God. So she's like, I'm going to spend all this money, and I'm going to go on a seven-week visit to Africa just by myself. Wow. I'm going to go to Africa. Okay. She takes the money, goes to Africa. She arrives in uh, Nairobi first, which is the capital of Kenya, where she met the owner of the hotel where she was staying, the Treetops Hotel. His name was William Holden. And he is <laughs> a famous actor. I know. I know. <laughs> Weird. And then he introduced her to safari guide John Alexander. Which is kind of like Jason Alexander, but not. Oh, a lot of celebs in this yeah. place. <laughs> celebs that aren't real. <laughs> so over the next seven weeks, John took her through Kenya, Tanzania, the Democratic Republic of the Congo, um, Rhodesia, which is present day Zimbabwe. Uh, he helped her visit Africa's largest national parks, the saline lakes, which are the lakes where they have all those flamingos that like famously run and fly oh. like for all those national geographic mm-hmm. picks, mm-hmm. which now you're like not allowed to like try to scare the flamingos. So they fly. Oh yeah. That, that used makes to be sense. like a thing. And yeah. now it's like, why the fuck are you doing that? They're just trying to live their day. Right. They went to a big old crater. They went and saw a ton of wildlife, but then she also met some really important people. One, she went to the fossil site of Lewis and Mary Leakey. That's a familiar name Uh because Lewis Leakey is the male support system that got Jane Goodall to Tanzania. Mm. So he's big on hiring, quote, uncertified women to do jobs that he thinks they would be good at. Then she also met American zoologist George Schaller, who had done a really long study of gorillas in the Congo. Also, when she met Louis Leakey, he talked with her about Jane Goodall and what Jane had been doing with chimpanzees. So by October, she's staying in this small hotel in Uganda, and the owner is, like, an advocate for gorilla conservationalists and, like, all the benefits of tourism, and he had these wildlife photographers there, the Roots. There's two of them, not the band. There's two of them. (laughs) They're married, and this group are like, hey, you can come and stay at our camp for a little bit. So Diane goes to stay with these photographers, and this is the first time she sees mountain gorillas in real life. So she's like, this is amazing. But after she finishes her seven weeks, she goes home. Oh. And that's it. Like, she had to go repay all the loans she took out. She had to work. She published a couple articles in journals at home. Like, I'm going to tell you about my trip to Africa. But she's living her day-to-day life for the next three years until Louis Leakey came through town on a lecture tour. She went to see him and, like, took the magazine articles that she had published. And, of course, he remembered her and was like, you know what, Diane? Why don't you go on a long-term study of gorillas, like, just like I'm doing with Jane? I think this is, like, a great idea for you. So Lewis lines up funding for her to research mountain gorillas, and Diane left her job to relocate in Africa. Wow. Like, permanently. The balls on some people. I can't imagine. (laughs) I mean, you went and lived in India for six months. Okay, but that was a study abroad, you know. Under the guise of a university. Yes. I mean... Still, like that takes balls. Like some people are yeah. like, "Oh, I would have done that," but they didn't because they didn't. <laughs> no, they didn't. I hate it when people say that. Like, "Oh, I could have studied abroad," and it's like, "Yeah, but you didn't." 
so you couldn't have. <laughs> like, I don't know what you're saying. I was going to be an environmental studies major, so I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Excuse me? <laughs> Worship your mother, the earth. <sighs> so in eight, the eight months, it took her to get a visa and funding. She is studying primatology. She's studying Swahili. And she gets back on a plane and gets herself to Nairobi again in December of 1966. Joan Root, who was the wife photographer, and Louis Leakey help her get all the necessary provisions. They help her get this old canvas top Land Rover that she names Lily. And I know on her way to the Congo, she stops by Jane Goodall to like oh, meet with her and they wow. actually form this really great relationship and become friends because they go to like all these different things together right so because they really are called the trimates there's three women Jane studied chimpanzees and Diane studied gorillas and then there's another woman her name is escaping me but she studied uh, orangutans and they oh, all did it I know who you're Lewis talking Leakey. about yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. and he like helped them all arrange I feel like there's like the Charlie's Angels of primate care and Honestly, Lewis Leakey of changing is the Charlie world. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Leakey's ladies oh my word if that's not a tweet if that's not a tweet <laughs> Leakey's Angels oh my gosh okay so she stops by everything's good alan root the husband photographer helps her get work permits everything's great she begins her research in congo in the same meadow where the george schaller guy had Mm -hmm. done his research seven years prior she lived in intent and existed on tin produce and once a month she would drive her land rover lily down to town it was a two-hour trip she would restock and she would come back while studying in the area, she identified three distinct groups of gorillas in her study, but couldn't really get close to them. Just like Jane at first, she really struggled with that. She eventually found out that mimicking their actions, like, you know, grooming each other and their noises and squatting the way they do, um, and eating the celery that they eat in the wild. Like, hmm. if she would sit down and pick the food and eat what they ate, they started to, like, feel like she should be there. Yeah. She later said that her success working with gorillas was increased because of the work that she did with children with special needs. So this sounds pretty like, I think it sounds harsh for like autistic kids, but she was like, I was kind of using a lot of the skills that I used with autistic children who some people talk around. They don't talk to. Yeah. And I think that she was seeing the cognition in these gorillas eyes and talking to them instead of around them. Right. And I think it's a easy thing to assume that she's saying that, you know, children with disabilities are like animals. Right, and no, she she's wasn't. saying she's like, no, no, no. The gorillas are like, are people. like people and right. like we should be treating them with the same care. Right. Same care, same respect. Yeah. But it's easy to kind of flip that and being like, ooh. Maybe don't say that. <laughs> but yeah, she, she learned a lot of skills working with kids that could transcend this boundary Mm -hmm. she relied on their individual nose prints for identification at first she would draw them and later on she would photograph them and that's how you would know which gorilla was which she arrived in the Congo, though, in some pretty turbulent times. At that point, it was the Belgian Congo, which King Leopold of the Belgian Congo is, like, the worst in the middle countries of Africa. They refer to him the way that, like, European nations refer to Hitler. Oh, God. He, like, cut off the hands of children. <gasps> he was, like, in charge of genocides, mostly getting rubber out of the rainforest was his oh, thing. Read up on King Leopold. I had no idea. He is, like... 
terrible what he Monster. did to the government of the Congo. Bad, bad. Um, anyway, they get their independence in the 1960s and have this rebellion with the government. And then this lieutenant general seizes control. And now you've got, that's why there's the Congo and the Democratic Republic of the Congo. But at that time it was called Zaire. Like there's a lot of civil war happening in Africa. Yeah. So there's a lot of battles. They take place in the province. Her whole research team, because it's her and some photographers and other people, take her and they detain her for a bit. Mm -hmm. They, like, lock her up and the research team up. But they eventually, like, bribe themselves out of this situation. But everybody, including Louis Leakey, are like, do not go back to... Canada like that or Canada the Congo you should go to Canada that's pretty safe yeah don't go back to the Congo so she decided okay I'm gonna start over but Mm -hmm. I'm gonna start in Rwanda which is like a little guy right next to Congo okay so in Rwanda she meets Rosamund Carr and she introduces her to a local who would help her get like a suitable spot for research so now Diane is founding a new research center in a new country. It's in between these foothills of two mountains. And she names the research center Karasaki for it's like the first half of one of the mountain names and the last half of the other mountain name. And her study covered 25 square kilomiles, kilometers. (laughs) And she became known to the locals as Nier Machabelli, the woman who lives alone on the mountain. Unlike the gorillas in the Congo, these gorillas, though, had never been inhabited by humans. They only knew humans as poachers. So she couldn't get close enough to study them. And it took her even longer than it took her time in the Congo Mm because those gorillas had been studied before. Mm -hmm. She made many discoveries about gorillas, including that females tend to transfer from group to group over the decades. She learned about gorilla vocalization, about their hierarchy, their social relationships, their rare infanticide. She learned about their diet. She learned about how, like, gorillas recycle nutrients. Like, it was amazing studies that she's doing and publishing. All of this is funded by Louis Leakey and the National Geographic. And she is getting insanely famous she's on the cover of nat geo she she was on the tonight show with jimmy carson wow she is spending a lot of time with jane goodall they're getting photographed together and she gets engaged to this man that she meets in rwanda but she knew his brother back in kentucky which is kind of weird i guess it was just like a fun connection and then they kind of fall in love at one point throughout this, that engagement doesn't last. Oh. At one point throughout this, she gets involved with a National Geographic photographer who's married back at Ooh, home. And they no. have, like, a long-term affair. Yeah. And he keeps promising to leave his oh, wife no. and then never does. And eventually their relationship breaks up as she gets more and more dedicated to the gorillas. <sighs> Diane was often, though, in, like, hostile territory where poachers were so she had a gun and she would shoot back at people and like wasn't okay with being a little bit militant to keep herself her team and her gorillas safe Mm -hmm. so she's there for a couple decades but then she goes home to cambridge for a bit which isn't home she's not in california but she goes to cambridge so that she can officially get her phd Mm -hmm. 
So she does, and she defines mountain gorillas as dignified, highly social, gentle giants, and that they have individual personalities with strong family relationships. While at Cambridge, she becomes pregnant and has an abortion while getting her PhD. Later of this, she said, you can't be a cover girl for National Geographic magazine when you're pregnant. And just she didn't want to have a baby. Yeah. Totally all right. But again, it's that that dichotomy between Jane Goodall and like Diane Fossey, where Jane Goodall had her baby and took her baby with her to the jungle. Mm -hmm. And I think the jungle, wherever she was, Tanzania. (laughs) I just think that people are a little bit more reserved about loving Diane Fossey because she's fighting back with guns because Mm -hmm. she's having abortions and talking about it and having affairs. And like, there's a lot more to rub up against with Diane Fossey. It seems like yeah, she's prickly. (laughs) Oh no. (laughs) She, well, she's prickly. And then her story becomes prickly. Okay. She then lectured at Cornell for a while and wrote her best-selling book and autobiography gorillas in the mist. It remains to this day, the best-selling book about gorillas. Mm. There isn't a better one. Okay. Well, I mean, nice. what about like, I don't know. What are some good, good King Kong? I feel oh, like that yeah. should be, but that's a fiction. So yeah, whatever. I feel like King Kong's the well, best-selling see, gorilla book. I'm surprised there isn't a book about that one that got shot. Oh, Harambe. Gosh. Harambe. Yeah. Uh, there should be. I'm surprised there's not a book about it. I'm sure there is. There somewhere. is. I bet it's not but. as bet. It's not good selling as gorillas in the mist. <laughs> But I bet she would have had shit to say about that. She thought zoos were prisons. She mm. was very against zoos, especially for great apes. Yeah. Like primates. She's like, this is mm-hmm. not good. Okay. So she's lecturing at Cornell. She's writing her book. She's going back into Rwanda to keep living in her cabin at her camp. A lot of research students leave pretty regularly, though, because it's dark. It's cold. It's a rainforest. The grass is six feet tall. There's Mm -hmm. poachers. There's machetes. There's mosquitoes. There's animals everywhere. You think you can hack it until you're trying to hack it. And then it's like, that's terrible. I know I couldn't hack it. Yeah, not not even a day. (laughs) Not even a quarter of a day. Um, But she had many people who worked for her. So this is something that people use as evidence that she was like a bitchy person. But... Many people worked for her for years and years, and the locals worked for her. Like, they were part of her group of researchers and, like, who would track the animals and stuff. So, it's – she definitely had a brash personality, but there were Mm -hmm. people who could handle it. Yeah. And if she was a man, nobody would have anything to say about it. Exactly. On multiple separate occasions, she did witness the aftermath of the capture of an infant gorilla. And because gorillas will fight to the death to save their babies, a kidnapping could result in the death of 10 adult gorillas. Because when one went down trying to save the baby, the next in the like alpha line would step up to fight the poachers to try to get the baby back. She also kept an eye out for trades that looked illegal um, because she just was not cool with people stealing natural resources from Africa. So she started to get herself involved in some shady spying and like tracking people who were part of gold smuggling rinks, which is like dangerous as fuck to get into in Africa. So she also tried to prevent the export of two baby gorillas, Coco and Pucker, who had been stolen in Rwanda and they were supposed to be sold to a zoo in Germany. 
And let's be clear, like at this time, people were stealing animals and selling them to zoos as if it wasn't poaching. The same way with like the illegal diamond trade. Yeah. So like this zoo in Germany doesn't know they're buying animals from illegal poachers, but they are. Yeah. So that's a problem. During the capture of these two babies, 20 adult gorillas were killed. And there's only 280. Let's be clear. <sighs> On the whole planet. So when 20 gorillas are killed, that's detrimental to the mm -hmm. population of the earth. So, and there were 280 at this time. Okay. So the infant gorillas uh, were given to Fossey to nurse back to health because mm -hmm. they were injured in this raid. Mm -hmm. She helps them get better. And then they still ship the gorillas <gasps> to Germany. And she's just like, that's terrible. Yeah. And we know how she feels about zoos. So yeah. now, present day, zoos cannot buy animals. Well, There's no good. such thing. You can yeah. only trade animals. So, like, for example, when our zoo lions have babies, those lions can go to another zoo. Uh -huh. But you can't purchase an animal from an outside source, which yeah. has helped with poaching problems. Yeah. Um, and also, most big zoos and, um, like, aquariums are helping animals that are injured and can't go back into the wild. Right. So it's much different today than it was in the 80s. Right. Like, it's like that um, turtle calypso that we had right. at the National Aquarium. Um, who she was had lost a, a fin. fin. And so she couldn't swim and, like, defend herself or mm -hmm. hunt in the same way she needed to to survive. Mm -hmm. Okay. Because she rescued any abused animals at all in her cabin. She also had a monkey living there and a dog living there. <laughs> and when I say cabin, she had one of those like steel metal like cabins with a roof on it. And, yeah. Like, they had built up a fairly big community in this research area yeah. for a while. Um, she, though, was plagued with lung problems mm. um, from an early age. And later she suffered from uh, emphysema from heavy cigarette smoking. So she's smoking a lot while oh my she's God. out there. <laughs> <laughs> and she's just like having to use like oxygen to get up and down the mountain sometimes. Oh, because you're like walking up and down a mountain. But during the day on New Year's Eve 1977, Diane's favorite gorilla, Digit, who she had observed for like over a decade was killed by poachers <gasps> and um, the poachers got him with five spear wounds and then they decapitated him and cut off his hands for ashtrays to make into ashtrays what? to sell. And they found his mutilated body and Diane's group went out and captured one of the poachers and brought him back. They got him to reveal the name of five of the other accomplices and three of them got sent to prison. So now she's fucking with poachers. Oh, my God. She later described Digit's murder as the saddest event in all of her years of sharing the daily lives of mountain gorillas. She plunged into depression. She isolated herself in her cabin. She started consuming extreme amounts of alcohol oh, and no. cigarettes. And she later did create a Digit fund to raise money against anti-poaching. So Digit, for these years while she was out there and there were people on a rotation in her camp, Digit was her best friend. She spent oh. every day with him. It would be like if somebody murdered your pet and you found their body. That's terrible. Yeah. Like, okay. Through the Digit Fund, Fossey financed patrols to destroy poacher traps in her study area. In four months, the Fossey Patrol destroyed almost a thousand. <gasps> 
poacher traps. Oh my god! Which the government, their little guard, destroyed zero in the <laughs> same period. Because I'm sure they weren't actually really trying. Right, because they're getting money from all this. Exactly. Of course the government's getting money. And then in the eastern portion of the national park where she isn't, they're wiping out the elephants for the ivory. They're killing gorillas by the dozens, which again, there's only 280 like total. But she again kept helping to get all these people arrested. Her poaching protests were mostly in her part of the camp at first, but then some more gorillas were murdered in her part of the camp, and she goes on the offensive. She is furious because they're trying to steal this baby, and the dad and the mom, gorilla who try to defend the baby, end up getting killed, and then the baby gets injured, and she has to, like, nurse it back to health, while it, but it dies of gangrene in, like, a painful death that lasts over four months. Oh, my God. It's terrible. So the Rwanda National Park, the World Wildlife Federation, the African Wildlife Federation, the Mountain Gorilla Protection, they're all the research centers that are getting all the money to, like, help this problem. But mm-hmm. she's the only one who's, like, really doing anything. And she's right. like, I'm struggling for money. Nobody's sending me money. And I'm doing all of the things to get rid of these poachers right the only people who are getting money are the ones who are pretending to do things but not really yeah they're just like i mean being spokespeople like those federations some of them at least are good federations but like there are people who are doing nothing yeah it's too much land to cover and she's on the ground Mm. she also they're trying to promote tourism to make money she strongly opposed wildlife tourism because the great apes were susceptible to disease and we saw this in the jane goodall story that they got smallpox and started dying because too many people were coming in to see them Mm -hmm. by the end of her life she did see tourism as when it's procured correctly as positive Mm -hmm. um but she said that very begrudgingly (laughs) she did not like to say that Mm -hmm. So the deaths of some of her most studied gorillas caused her to donate, to uh, devote even more attention to her poaching prevention and less on scientific research. And she became more intense with some crazy tactics to stop them. She and her staff, uh, like we said, cut animal traps, but they also frightened, captured, and humiliated the poachers. Um, she held their cattle for ransom. She burnt their hunting camps. She even burnt the front doormats at some of their houses to intimidate them. I've never seen Rambo, but I feel like she's going Rambo. (laughs) She's she's going nuts. Um, she was digging into illegal deals and getting the names of people to use as leverage. She... Uh, would capture and hold um, Rwandans as suspects and even allegedly beat one of the poacher's testicles with like a sticker bush. Ooh. Yeah. So in a letter, her friend said, we stripped him and spread eagled him and lashed the holy blue sweat out of him. Wow. Yeah. So um, she was getting wild. She <laughs> bought firecrackers and cheap toys and magic tricks to try to mystify people. She's being Queen Nanny. She's like, if she I can, is. if I can scare them away, she would like wear masks and pretend to have black magic. Oh my! Like God. trying to scare people. Uh, a journalist at the end of her life described her as a racist alcoholic who regarded gorillas as better than people. But what? this isn't true. Like she did fight with the like Rwandan men and women who worked for her, but she wasn't racist like she just 
was a harsh woman and she treated the white research students the same way she treated the Rwandan people. Right. They just, in that town, most of the poachers were black. So the way she right. was treating them, it wasn't directed toward black people specifically. It was directed towards poachers. Right. Yeah. So she's anti-poacher is what she is. Right. So in the early morning of December 27th, 1985, Diane was discovered murdered. <gasps> In the bedroom of her cabin, cabin, located at the far end of her camp in Rwanda. Her body was found face up near the bed where she slept. There was a seven-foot hole cut in her metal cabin wall. Her research assistant was summoned to the scene by a worker, and he found her bludgeoned to death. He said, when I reached down to check her vital signs, I could see that her face had been split <gasps> diagonally by oh a machete God. blow. Oh, my God. Not an easy way to die. The cabin was littered with broken glass and overturned furniture. There was a handgun on the floor next to her with ammunition. Her last diary entry read, when you realize the value of all life, you dwell less on what is past and concentrate more on the present of the future. She's buried in Rwanda in a site that was constructed for her guerrilla friends four years to the day after Digit died. She was buried next to him. Oh, my God. She had memorial services in New York City, Washington, D.C., and California. But some questions came up pretty quickly about this murder. At first glance, it looks like poachers. Yeah. They had reason to hate her. It was a brutal attack, but things didn't add up. A, robbery was not the reason. She had thousands of dollars in there, U.S. dollars. Her huh. handgun was left. None of her valuables were taken. They were taken out of drawers like people were looking for something, but poachers would have taken all of that. Right. The hole in her cabin was cut in metal sheath, and it was right next to her bed. How, How could, could they do that it? in the middle of the night without hearing that with a machete? She would have run or gone outside to get help. Right. So a lot of people think that maybe it was cut from the inside to yeah. bring her body in. And she had been killed somewhere <gasps> oh. else. And there was very little blood in the cabin for somebody who had been bludgeoned to death. I mean, and if you watch the uh, documentary I talked about earlier, it really is like a little spot of blood. Not someone who's been slashed in the face right, with a machete. Right, you know anything from forensic files, blood would be everywhere. Everywhere. It would be splattered about. Um... There was in the cabin a carbon copy of a letter that she had sent saying that she had the names of some pretty influential members of the gold smuggling ring. Most confusingly, there was evidence that the government ignored. She was clutching hair in one of her hands and there were footprints outside of her cabin that were not properly researched. <sighs> After her death, her entire staff is arrested um, and... They are all eventually let go, except for this one guy, Emmanuel, who is what he was a Rwandan man, but they called him Emmanuel. Mm -hmm. He has an African name. Um, and they had had tension in the past, but apparently they just like yelled at each other all the time. Yeah. Like she would yell at him and fire him when she was drunk at night. And then he'd come back the next day and help. Or like mm -hmm. he would yell at her and be like, I quit. And then he'd come back the next day and help. And people were like, this man did not kill her. Like they yeah. were friends. Mm -hmm. Everybody there described her as their mother. And even so they all had jobs mm -hmm. and that was really important. Um, but the thing was 
The people in Rwanda, the government, was embarrassed that a famous American scientist was murdered in their country, and they felt a lot of pressure to convict somebody. The other person that was accused of murder was her research assistant. They said that Wayne McGuire and this guy, Emmanuel, murdered her together, and they wanted to steal her research and publish it as their own, which... (laughs) You can't take the research of the most famous guerrilla scientist and pretend it's yours. You'll never get away with that. No. And it also seemed like at this point, like the research was secondary to her. So it's not even like she was, you know, like I'm sure she was still writing stuff and doing research, but it's not like her initial research, which would have been really valid. Whatever. You know what I'm saying? They know who she is at this point. They're like, yeah, clearly Diane wrote that. Like we know. Right. So yeah, that doesn't really add up. No. So they accuse both these men of murder. They keep Emmanuel in prison and the U.S. embassy flies Wayne out of the country real quick because yeah. they're like, we don't have a, like an extradition agreement right. with Rwanda so we can just get him home yeah. and leave him home. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, Emmanuel was found dead in his prison cell and they said he hung himself, but don't think they so. didn't. He didn't hang himself. Oh, my God. Um, What the fuck? It goes all the way to the top. Yeah. The Rwandan government tried to convict Wayne, uh, alleging that his, again, his motive was to steal the narrative. But he came out in L.A. and gave a conference saying she was my friend. She was my mentor. Like, why would I kill her? But here's the thing about the hair. After the murder, when they were researching the body, one of her assistants went in and got the hair out of both of her hands and cut some off her head. When asked for it, she split it up. She gave half to the FBI uh-huh. and half to the Rwandan people to send to this lab in Paris. They found that the hair was European, not biologically African. Mm-hmm. And the tests were inconclusive about whether or not it matched her own hair. Because, like, she could have got hit in the head and, like, grabbed her head and pulled her hands down. But right. then the FBI can't find the hair and Paris can't find the hair. Huh. So it's gone. Okay. Entirely gone. Mm -hmm. Um, In short, it seems like people up high in illegal trading had her killed and drug into her cabin to make it look like poachers did it to cover it up. Mm -hmm. But also, the sad thing is they didn't even have a lot of time to look into this murder because this is the 1990s now in Rwanda. And there's a terrible genocide about Mm -hmm. to happen. Always genocide with me. (laughs) So we know that the Hutu and the Tutsi are about to murder each other in the streets. There's going to be hundreds of thousands of people laying dead. So the person who was hired to do this either died during those genocides or is so mixed up and all the evidence is so mixed up that they will never find who did this. Oh, my God. Um, There was a will oh and i also want to say that there's a lawyer from rwanda in rwanda's defense there's a lawyer right now who i watched talk about this and he was like i read this court case it was a 30 minute court case and they had nobody come up for the defense of wayne or this guy emmanuel and he's like if this was rwanda today we would laugh at this there was no physical evidence he's like i swear to you this is not how our justice system works it's how it worked in the 80s but we're better now oh well that's um he was like this is laughable and i wish we could like retry this but we have no evidence because it all got destroyed in the genocide because refugees were running through those hills yeah there's no evidence left um so there was a will 
that she had. Um, and it was supposed to go all to the digit fund against anti-poachers. But guess who contested it? Her fucking mom and stepdad what? contested it and won and got all of the money for themselves. No. $4.9 million. Oh, my God. That was supposed to go to anti-poaching and the digit fund. I hate that. What is wrong with them? I don't know. They're the worst part of this story. And God. she just fucking got murdered. She got murdered with a machete. <laughs> I, it's terrible. Ugh. Okay. So all of this is going on hiatus in genocide wayne's back in america but he has to change his job yeah. nobody's gonna hire him as a research assistant no. so emmanuel died diane died his life's destroyed but the research program doesn't get shut down forever it reopens after the genocide and is still operating huh. in the same camp today um in 2014, she was honored with a Google Doodle, <laughs> and Universal Studios bought the rights to Gorilla in the Mist film. It was contested for a while because they didn't really know what to include, how loving to make her seem. Yeah. Um, Sigourney Weaver, like I said, ended up playing her. They did include her affair with a the photographer. They did include her burning some poachers' homes. <laughs> and Sigourney Weaver, in the documentary I watched, said she was forever changed by playing this role, by hanging out with the gorillas that she will never be able to turn her back on the wild ever ever again when diane was in rwanda in the 60s 70s and 80s there were 280 some mountain gorillas left in the world today we're approaching a thousand oh good i thought it was gonna go the other way i was about to be really sad this is <laughs> one of the most successful conservation attempts in history <gasps> And Diane is pretty much single-handedly <sighs> responsible for saving a species from extinction. That's from extinction. <sighs> she also helped the Rwandan government cut poaching by half. <gasps> by half. Wow. She is generally credited with reversing the downward trend in the population of mountain gorillas. And like I said, they are still operating today in the mountains of Rwanda in the same space with the same gorillas. And some of them are the great, great grandchildren of the gorillas that Diane oh researched. God, that's so amazing. they're still alive and they're there. And that is the story of Diane Fossey. <laughs> Isn't that a that's roller coaster? Crazy. It was so different than I thought it was going to be. Wow. I know. Not. It's funny because whenever I like think of the Jane Goodall story, it's like, you know, and then she lived with them and then they loved her and like that. Da, 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 and it's all very kind it's of very peaceful sweet. and sweet. And this is brutal. This is what you expect living yeah. in like a rainforest anywhere in oh the world. This is crazy God. and brutal and hard and dirty. Jesus Christ. Um, all right. Well, we need to compare these women. <laughs> yes. Let's talk about these two women in a little segment we like to call Just the Two of Us. Male sponsorship. Oh my one. God. I read the same thing. Yes. Louis Leakey and James Nimoy. I mean, come on. That's so cool. They really put their all into helping these women get their starts. Yeah. Which, you know, <laughs> for a long time has been so necessary. I mean, even now. 
to get any job, you kind of need to know someone, which is so unfortunate. Right. And if somebody will like take up space for you in a place where you're not allowed to have space, how wonderful. God, it's so necessary, especially because they're going into well-established areas. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I wrote that like neither of these women were reinventing the wheel. Mm. You know, um, Charlotta was not starting the first African-American newspaper and Diane was not creating a whole new field of research on gorillas. That just wasn't the case. But what they did do was they improved those two things. <laughs> and they also both not only improved those two things, but were willing to say things and do things that other people weren't willing to do. Yeah. It seemed to me like they were both like, stop talking about how much you hate racism and do something about it. Stop right. talking about how much you hate endangered animals and do something. You're yeah. sitting around at your dinner table talking about how shitty the world is instead of getting up and making a change. Yeah. Like, I think about that with, like, they weren't just, you know, writing or talking about the injustices that they saw. I mean, obviously, Diane went out <laughs> and fucking tortured poachers and burned <laughs> their homes and was, yeah. like, being wild. And I think about Charlotta going out and she's like, Okay, I'm not going to write like an expose of the fact that your neighbors are racist, Miss Johnson. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go out and I am going to make a protest in front of your house. Mm-hmm. I'm going to get the authorities involved and they're going to listen to me because I know the laws. Right. And I think that you need someone who can do both. Oh, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. It's like, I feel like they're like, okay, you can be one or the other. You can be someone who's like writing about the issues and also going out and doing, you know, or going out and doing things. But both of these women are like, no, I'm doing both because you can do both because yeah. I care about this so much. And they were both so angry about the situation. So mad. They're at everyone so else. mad <laughs> because they're like, this is ridiculous. And they're both kind of working in these corrupt systems that are not benefiting the people that are the people that are things or animals or whatever that they're supposed to be benefiting it's like they're supposed to be anti-poaching going on but it's only not. diane is doing it <laughs> and she's not getting paid like and i just loved in your story where you said it has to start somewhere because i yes. feel like that's what both of them were saying it's like there's supposed to be this going on but no one's doing it so i'm gonna do it i'm gonna publish that little story about racism that mm-hmm. happened that you think is small but right. the more we publish that small story the more it becomes important you know the more yeah. we talk about cat calling the more it becomes assault like you have to talk about yeah. it and the more people will start coming to you with their stories it's right. like if you went to Charlotta and were like, hey, like, you know, I tried to go to this restaurant and like sit down and they like wouldn't let me. And she was like, mm, well, do you know that there are some people that like can't even get a job? You know, it's like, I think it's easy to be like, that's a trivial thing. So like, I'm not going to write about it. But she was like, no, no, no. Everything matters. Right. And Diane did the same thing with these gorillas. She goes, everything matters. It's not just one thing. It's all the things that add up to this corrupt culture that is causing these animals to nearly go extinct. Right. It's the gold. It's the ivory. It's the gorillas. It's the poaching. Right. It's, it's all of it. Yeah. She's like, I know that the gold trade is not, you know, exactly the gorilla trade or whatever. She goes, but they're connected. And it's all corrupt. It. It's the same people. So like the gold, the illegal gold trade is my business, even if they're not exactly the ones, whatever, you know what I'm saying? Like, I don't know. I also think that they are interesting figures because they're both not exactly like 
mothering women. You know what I'm saying? Oh, like, yeah. Neither of them had children. You know, Charlotta was married and she had a happy marriage. But like, you know, we don't really know much about her personal life. But it seemed like they were just so dedicated to like the larger causes of things that they didn't have these families. And I think that that's why there's kind of a disconnection with the general public and their stories. Right. Because I think we don't like when women aren't typical mothering angels. Mm -mm. You know what I'm saying? Like, I think it makes people uncomfortable. Oh, yeah. And it's like, how I think people are like, how could Diane Fossey, like, really care about gorillas when, like, she would have an abortion? She's never you cared know? about a baby. How could she Right, about- exactly. She, she worked with children. How could she have an abortion? Right. <gasps> it's like, calm down. <laughs> right. And it's like, no, like, I care about children so much that, like, I want to have a baby in the environment where, like, I am so in love with this kid. Like, I am very much so choosing to do this. Right. You know? And, like, I think people just don't see that as caring. Right. You know? I've been, oh, go ahead. No, no, you go ahead. I've been thinking a lot about Diane's last night, this, this week and just how terrified she must've been. Mm -hmm. And from a lot of what I watched, she would not have died instantly. And it would have been very, very painful. And then when you brought up the, the KKK coming Mm -hmm. into, um, Charlotta's office, I just felt that same fear for her Mm -hmm. that that could have been the end of her. It's a powerful group with political connections who are going after you because they don't like the message that you're putting out into the world. Fortunately for her, her story didn't end that day, but it very well could have. And it did for a lot of black men and women in this Mm -hmm. country for a very long time. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I also think about the fact that like, it kind of gave me chills that, Diane's gun that she kept for her safety was right there. And I don't know. It seems like she was not murdered in the cabin. So she obviously didn't have access for it. Could have been placed. But, you know, in in a perfect world, like, we wouldn't have to have those kinds of things. You know, I I don't like, I don't like guns. I hate them. I wish that they weren't there. But then I also think, like, if Charlotta hadn't have had one, whether it was loaded or not or whatever, whether she knew how to use it or not, just the presence of it was able to scare those men off, which I'm so grateful for. But I hate that that's even a situation. Right. You know, I don't know. It's like, I just think the, it's an interesting comparison that they were in almost an exact same situation. Right. And killed by powerful people not liking what you had to say. Organizations. Yeah. You know, it's not just one person with a right. grudge. It is a whole organization that's mad that you're speaking up. And that's what's so fucked up because these women didn't have larger protections. Yeah. And that's and that's why they kind of had to be like, okay, well, I'm gonna protect myself then. Right. You know? And I'm gonna do these things because I the system is not protecting me mm-hmm. because it's obviously corrupt. And <laughs> if I were killed, like, you know, mm-hmm. it's not going to get investigated. No one will be brought to justice, mm-hmm. which is so unfortunate. It is. Um, but I will say on a positive note, I mean, both of these women made such an impact on the world. You they know? were dealing in information. Yeah. And I wish that they were able, you know, like Charlotta lived long enough to see some of the civil rights movement and Mm -hmm. some of the laws passed, but she was older. You know, I don't really know how much she could really see, but you know, we kind of both ended 
on what's happened since, yeah. you know, and like she ran for vice president in the fifties, <laughs> you know, which is crazy. <laughs> and, you know, she never got to see a black woman be vice president or a black man be president, you know, which I wish that she would have been able to see. And Diane didn't get to see the gorilla population really flourish the way she had always dreamed of. And I don't know. I just think there's something very poetic about these women and their visions still happening because of the momentum they gave the movement. Because it had to start somewhere. Because it had to start somewhere. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Are you ready to toast? I am. Who would you like to toast this evening? I want to toast um, people who make the impossible possible by one Mm. small action. Yes. One little thing that you do to make it possible. Love that. Cheers. Um, I'm going to toast women who speak loudly and carry a big (laughs) stick. (laughs) I think this this applies to both of them. Whip some balls. They were so... And it's funny because I wrote that uh, not knowing that <laughs> Diane whips some literally balls. literally whips balls with a prickle bush. <laughs> but I think that it's so amazing when a strong woman can do both. Yeah. And I love it. So Perfect. cheers. Cheers to these ladies. <laughs> All right. What are you enjoying in pop culture this week? Okay. So you know how in Diane's story she was like – um. I couldn't be pregnant and be on the cover of National Geographic. Mm-hmm. Well, right after I was doing that research, the next day, I got Vogue magazine oh. in the mail, and it is a very pregnant, sexy as fuck Rihanna oh, on the cover. Love and that. I like had just finished like typing out some research, and then I got it out of my mailbox because, yes, I get Vogue. And then <laughs> I was like, oh, my God. That's we amazing. have moved to the point where you can be very pregnant she's wearing like a lace pant jumpsuit full pregnant profile i'll show it to you after we're done recording she looks so good and i just like i'm really proud of the strides i think vogue catches a lot of flack Mm -hmm. but they also move things forward like they put men in dresses on the covers they are trying to include women of different sizes and colors and shapes and abilities and it's like they're trying yeah like i know it's not perfect but if you put some effort in that's better than nothing again it has to start somewhere problem with pedestals (laughs) (laughs) okay so what are you liking um i'm gonna promote the movie free guy uh casey and I watched it like a couple weeks ago and I just I loved it so Aww, much. Good. I love Jodie Comer. Mm. I think she is one of the greatest actresses we have today. Okay. I think she's so fucking talented. Um and Ryan Reynolds is so endearing in it because I just watched definitely maybe last night. Oh, I love that movie. I, know, I love it too. <laughs> I watched it with the kids. It was fun. And I don't know. I just I loved it, and it's a very heavy video game movie, but me as a person who does not play video games, I could understand everything that was going on. So if you're intimidated by like, well, I'm not a gamer, so I can't watch it, don't be. It all somehow makes sense. Because I was like, this movie's not going to make any sense to me, but Mm -hmm. it did, and I thought it was so sweet, and it's a love (laughs) story, and overall, and it's just, I loved it. So, Free Guy, it's very fun, and I loved it. (laughs) Great. All right. 
Well, that's the end of us, but it doesn't have to be the end for you. No, you can find us on Patreon <laughs> where we give you a little extra tidbit. We mm-hmm. send you some things in the mail. We talk to you online. We take your requests first because mm-hmm. um, we like you. You can also see our Today in History posts that pop up every day mm-hmm. on Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter. You can like them. You can comment them. Mm-hmm. Anything you want. You can share them. Yeah, you can make our cocktails <laughs> on tip tipsy tuesday yes we have so many things happening during the week besides just this show yes oh and you can also take our quiz every tipsy tuesday and try and guess who made what cocktail on our instagram <laughs> stories it's been very fun yeah. they got it right this week majority wise okay. really week. uh-huh i think i we both won by like 15 percent or something interesting our own cocktails the honey one was very you though i, I can't yeah. make something that looks that classy <laughs> <laughs> i think also they're starting to look Look at the people and think who, who would do them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I totally you're, agree. You're, you're, you're like the especially since like two weeks ago. You're like, I want to do more female comedians. Then <laughs> like, be Arthur. Oh, that must be Katie. <laughs> if you so listen true. weekly, then you can follow our. Now you'll know for sure because of the alphabetical letters. Oh, don't give him that clue. Oh, damn. <laughs> no, it's fine. The double letters because we'll have to double up some weeks. That'll we'll throw switch them off. It. That'll oh, throw them off. Shoot. Okay. All right. Well, we love you guys. And never forget that well-behaved women have at least three rolls of double-sided tape in their house. Ah, they do because I have zero, Me and they too. rarely make history. Good <laughs> goodbye. <laughs> listening to her story on the rocks we are independently produced by 1986 entertainment and proudly recorded in baltimore maryland if there's a woman in history you would like us to cover you can email us at herstoryontherocks at gmail.com you can also message us on twitter or instagram we post all of our cocktail recipes on tuesdays so that you can go get all the supplies you need and drink along with us see you next week bye